it's amazing that while I think everybody recognizes the need to work together, there are still so many silos in golf. The industry is so fragmented, and as long as it's good for us, then maybe we'll look at it from a holistic standpoint. What will make this beneficial for kids first and foremost and their families? But then how are we going to really get buy-in? How can we take this holistic approach so that it is good for golf courses? This is going to add to their bottom lines. They're going to be welcoming of kids and families. And what will the PGA think of this? How will this work with Junior League, which is almost like a little league? Well, it'll allow those kids to play more frequently. Well, what about the first tee? Part of the reason Youth on Course was started so long ago was really it was born out of the success of first tee. We looked at how many kids they were impacting nationwide and how excited these kids were getting. They were learning all these skills and then what? Because they couldn't go play affordably. It's not that it was all for naught, but there was no funnel. And so we pick up where first tee leaves off and then allow these tens of thousands of kids who are now interested in the game to actually go utilize what they've learned. And so we make extraordinary efforts to ensure that the relationships we've got with other youth programs, both in golf and outside of golf, are truly collaborative. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, Thanks for joining us, and please subscribe, rate, and review the show on either iTunes or our show page at mod.golf, so that you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. If you'd like to receive our monthly newsletter, please sign up on the Mod Golf Podcast website to receive the latest news relating to the innovative future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Adam Hike, who is the CEO of Youth on Course. Youth on Course provides young people between the ages of 6 and 18 with access to life-changing opportunities through golf with access to affordable golf, and that's the core of what they do. Adam, welcome and thanks for joining me and taking some time out of your hectic schedule to be on the Mod Golf Podcast today. Thanks, Colin. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, you're welcome. So we've been trying to do this for a while. We were trying to hook it up at the PGA show a few months ago, and our schedules just were not able to collide to make that happen. So I'm, I'm happy we finally have a chance to have this conversation. So to get us started here, Adam, why don't we start with you sharing some of your personal and professional backstory that led up to you taking on the CEO role at Youth on Course? You know, I'm a, I'm a California native and, and grew up playing golf, you know, not very competitively, but for fun with friends, with family, and always was able to play affordably. You know, I grew up outside Sacramento and could walk down to my local public golf course and, and play for about $6. And what came out of that was a lot of great personal relationships and, and the ability to play pretty frequently. Mom and dad could drop us off and for $6, hard not to be able to play a lot of golf. And going to college in the Southeast at Clemson and, and then wanting to come back to California and really understood the value of what golf provided and took a boat ride internship, which is fun through the USGA uh, at the Northern California Golf Association in Pebble Beach. At the time, they didn't have much going on with their foundation. And about six to eight months into it, we started Youth on Course. And it's just grown from there. And I've been incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to grow it with an amazing team here, an amazing board. And I guess now almost 15 years later, we've impacted thousands of kids. Love this. With 15 years, so if I understand, you did launch Youth on Course in, in 2005. We talk about entrepreneurship across the spectrum in the golf industry on the podcast here. And really what you're doing is creating a social impact 
our social enterprise entrepreneurship or startup back in 2005. And with all startups, all companies at that level or organizations, you're addressing a pain point. You're addressing a problem and there's a gap. So for you, what you already just told us, when you were a kid, you were able to play golf, accessible golf from the financial perspective. So obviously, up until 2005, you saw that was going away. There was this financial gap that was creating and was getting worse. So can you tell us what was that aha moment that yourself, and I'm assuming it was it was you and a few others that were the ones that launched Youth on Course in 2005. So tell us that, how you then first launched this and what was the first thing you did to get in market to really test this as a pilot? It was an interesting process. I had gotten to the NCGA in, uh, I guess, 2004, a gentleman by the name of Michael Hexner, who was an NCGA president at the time. And, and I think they had looked around the Northern California golf landscape and found that an average junior rate at, a, at your run-of-the-mill public golf course was around $20. And the NCGA, at the time, one of the largest state and regional golf associations in the country, had about 185,000 members, 3,000 of which were kids. If you know anything about state and regional golf associations, they're built on membership, and it's a driving source of revenue. Right. And so if, if you look at that small of a percentage being people under 18, you've got a long-term fiscal issue. And so just the inherent good in growing the game is one thing, but from a business standpoint, you need kids. The industry needs kids. Golf courses need kids. And so Mike and a gentleman by the name of Bruce Baker approached the Morton family in San Francisco. And this concept had been deployed in varying different models in Northern California. You buy tea times for kids. You know, what can we do to get kids engaged? And there's a number of different problems, as you mentioned, from the entrepreneurial standpoint that we looked at. And was it equipment? Was it access to golf through eliminating cost? Uh, was it transportation? And at the time, the NCGA chose cost. And the Morton family made a contribution to basically seed funding to get the program launched. And the concept was take tee times that were going unused. Right. Two, three, four, five o'clock at a public golf course. Ensure that kids never pay more than five bucks. We'll subsidize the golf course back the difference with privately raised money. And that concept, we started at one golf course and then six, and then, you know, it just kind of grew from there, but it, it clearly worked. See, what, what I like about this too is you took that, even though it didn't exist at the time in 2005, but what's made Airbnb and what's made Uber and Lyft successful is they are harnessing an asset that is underutilized, whether that's vehicles that aren't driven 95% of the time or whether that's homes and, and extra bedrooms that just sit there empty. That's exactly what you tapped into there. It sounds like you got validation right out of the gate there. So I find this very interesting from an entrepreneurial point of view that you looked at this as like, what are the major barriers here? And the one you looked at was cost. So now that you're 15 years and in running into this, Adam, what other observations and what pain points and, and opportunities have revealed themselves and barriers that you're removing besides just cost to get more kids on golf courses? You know, a lot of it has gone into scale, right? So doing this in Northern California exclusively from late 2005 to about 2015, we got almost the market completely saturated. There's roughly, you know, 200 some odd truly public facilities in Northern California. And, and the idea to scale this across the country has certainly become something we're very proud of. But to your point, there was a way to go deeper. And if we're looking at a social benefit, but one that still benefits the industry, benefits kids and families. We looked at other things like education, job opportunities, first-time work experience, mentorship to get additional kids into worthwhile programs and at the same time playing golf. 
And so maybe five, six, seven years into this, launched caddy programs, launched college scholarship programs, and paid high school internships. And those resided in Northern California for a handful of years, and we've scaled them here. We're based in Pebble Beach, but the college scholarship portion of that has scaled nationally as well. And so a young person, young man or woman can play golf for $5 or less across the country and now in Canada and have access to a pool of $250,000 to $300,000 for college every year through a very competitive, both financial need and merit-based program to try and incentivize success in education, success in volunteerism. And we look at these kids very, very closely with the hope that we can just get them hooked into golf because we're removing that barrier. Can we also incentivize them to be better students, to be better members of their community, to volunteer, to work? So it's kind of come full circle. Now, I'm looking at your website here and I'm seeing the stats and they are impressive. So I see you've now subsidized over three quarters of a million rounds of golf and uh, you have over 40,000 members and over 1,000 participating golf courses and 10 million holes played in 29 regions across the U.S. So in order to scale, what would you say is, I don't want to use the word to hack it, but as far as your growth hacking ability here with partners and ambassadors and advocates, as far as word of mouth, is it through the parents? So what have you learned over the years has been the best way for you to scale up Youth on Course? You're right. It's many different things. Parents are certainly a big part of it, though. Word of mouth and now having kids myself, I mean, the parents talk, right? Yeah. And it's pretty amazing how that spreads so quickly. But you also look at partnerships and the relationships between PGA professionals, between golf courses, and the relationships with state and regional golf associations, which are our primary partnerships reside in allied golf associations on the amateur side of things. And people are looking for ideas that are successful, for ideas that, that have been passed proof of concept. And so you couple together both parents and kids talking about that and the power of social media and how quickly some of these things can spread with developing the personal relationships and showing that this is truly going to be value add for both kids, parents, courses, pros, and golf associations across the board. And that's one of the things I think I'm, I'm most proud of that our team has been able to, to really articulate is that youth on course isn't competitive with anything else out there. Right. It's complimentary. And if your kid's playing other sports, if they're into golf, but in first tee or junior league or any of the others, this is just going to add value to their experience. It's certainly been something that has, has really helped us. Got it. And <laughs> what you just said there, you just answered part of my next question. I was really going to ask you, since there are other, let's say, similar or complementary organizations out there, and you touched on the names of them there, I, I was curious to know how well you played with each other. I talk about this on the podcast as far as blue ocean strategy and business and organizations as far as creating new value and complementing rather than competing. And it sounds like you fully embrace that. You're all working together here with the same cause. You're not trying to grab the kids from each other from different programs. It sounds like it's very complementary with what you're doing. I think it has to be. I just got back from a meeting yesterday, and it's amazing that while I think everybody recognizes the need to work together, there are still so many silos in golf. <laughs> yeah. The industry is so fragmented, and in many cases, as long as it's good for us, then maybe we'll look at it from a holistic standpoint. And I think if you take a step back, which is what we really tried to do early on, is what will make this beneficial for kids first and foremost and their families? But then how are we going to really get buy-in? How can we take this holistic approach so that it is good for golf courses? This is going to add to their bottom lines. They're going to be welcoming of kids and families. And what will the PGA think of this? 
this, how will this work with Junior League, which is, is kind of competitive, almost like a Little League. Well, it'll allow those kids to play more frequently. Well, what about the first tee? Part of the reason Youth on Course was started so long ago was really it was born out of the success of first tee. Right. We looked at how many kids they were impacting nationwide and how excited these kids were getting. They were learning all these skills. And then what? Because they couldn't go play affordably. It's not that it was all for naught, but there was no funnel. And so we pick up where first tee leaves off and then allow these tens of thousands of kids who are now interested in the game to actually go utilize what they've learned. And so we make, I would say, extraordinary efforts to ensure that the relationships we've got with other youth programs, both in golf and outside of golf, are truly collaborative. Now, I, I love hearing stories, and I'm sure with over 15 years of experience, you may have a difficult time choosing a couple, but I'm going to put you on the spot here, Adam. Could you share with us one or perhaps two, maybe one from a, a boy and one from a girl that you can share with us how you've changed their life, some inflection point or definitive moment that's happened, a story that you can share with us? There are certainly many. Both happen to be from Northern California, and that's because we're based here, and then we get to see a little bit more of the impact just due to geography. Right. There's a young man here locally, Monterey area, a Salinas, California kid who we introduced to Youth on Course. He was a first team member, didn't have any money to go play, and was able to play locally at a couple of golf courses for a couple of dollars. And he had talked about the impact that that had made. He was a good student. He wasn't a great student, but we encouraged him to apply for a, a scholarship and was really trying to decide on where to go to school and, and how he was going to pay for it because no one in his family had ever gone to college war. And this was going to be a truly transformative moment. And due to some donors, we're able to provide him with, with a substantial aid to higher education. And the feedback was not only did this change my life, but it changed my family's life. Right. And I'm going to be the first one to graduate with a degree. I'm going to get a good job. And the trajectory from a, a family standpoint has been altered permanently. So that's something that at the end of the day, when you go home, how are we making an impact? Well, that's pretty transformative. Yeah. I was going to say, that'll get you out of bed every single morning, inspired. No, it, it really will. There's another young woman we were interviewing in a similar situation, and we sponsor some paid high school internships here locally. And she came in and just said, look, I, I've never really fit in in school. I've been ruthlessly bullied for the, the way that I look. And if I'm able to join youth on course and be able to play golf, and this is something that's very new to me, but it's something I can do with a couple of my friends, and maybe I can get a job and maybe I can go to college. It's the first time I've ever felt welcomed, truly. And I mean, she's, and she's crying and then I'm crying, right? And everybody in the room's crying. And you just kind of think maybe that's when we started this 15 years ago, was that the moment I think we all had in mind? Maybe not, but it's certainly something that we see now happen year in and year out. And it certainly makes you feel good when you're able to achieve an impact like that. Wow. How could it not? Also interested to hear just any follow-up stories of any kids uh, now as young adults have either careers in the golf industry because of youth on course or that you can tell directly the correlation that your efforts have certainly helped propel them forward in whatever professional venture they've decided to embark upon. Oh, sure. I mean, there's, and, and given the scale of it, there's more than I, I think that we even know about, but right. we certainly have youth on course alums working in the industry. There's somebody that's in sales at PXG in Arizona. There's people that are working at golf courses across the country, Northern California. A young woman who ended up getting an Evans Caddy scholarship recently. Cameron Champ on the PGA Tour yeah. is a youth on course alum. Is he? Uh, Lucy, huh. yeah, uh, Lucy Lee 
one of the foremost young women's amateurs in the world is a youth on course alum. So some of the ones that you hear about are maybe players certainly an unintended consequence and or benefit of what youth on course has done not something that we're, we're not trying to get the next jordan spieth out there right right but it's it is really interesting when you just take a snapshot of the drive chip putt finals too and 20 to 25 percent of the field are youth on course kids or six out of the 64 at the u.s amateur at pebble beach last year were youth on course alums going on to amazing college careers. I mean, that kind of stuff is just a cool happening that has born out of, I think, a lot of hard work from a, a lot of really unique kids. And that is icing on the cake for what you do, but you know, the social proof there and just to have them as ambassadors for Youth on Course, is a great thing for the organization, without question. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you this. You're really there for kids between six and 18 years old. And I know it's open and inviting for everyone especially over the last couple of years with the invite her hashtag campaign, trying to get more women and young women on golf courses and the ethnic diversity piece also. Do you make any intentional efforts, conscious efforts to reach out to communities that are underrepresented in golf and have always been? Is that part of what you do or or do you keep it right across the board with kids in general or do you make extra efforts in certain areas? You know, we're beginning to make a more concerted effort, kids of color, young women. It's certainly something I think the industry is doing a better job of in general. And I think we need to do a better job. Our numbers in both of those areas are about the industry norm. And it's not something that we're okay with just staying status quo. This is something that has to grow. We have to get more people of color involved. We have to get more young women involved. And so we're looking at some collaborative partnerships with some other groups and ways to engage young girls, young people of color who may have an interest in golf, may have never heard of golf. But I think if we can show them that this is a welcoming sport, something that it doesn't have to be intimidating and and work together across organizational lines to do that, we could probably move the needle more so than we have in the past. So we will certainly concentrate more on that as we move forward. Got it. Got it. Now, you mentioned right out of the gate that the initial hurdle or pain point for golf, especially with kids, was the cost. Are you also finding as a barrier or something that's holding people back is physically you have to get to the golf course, especially with inner city kids, ones that don't necessarily have access to their own vehicle with their parents? Are there ways that you're helping to facilitate or mitigate that to get more kids on the golf course just besides the cost issue? You know, we haven't focused a lot on transportation just because if we're going to do it, we want to really put some serious resources into to doing that. Right. It's certainly a problem, though. Equipment's an issue. Transportation's an issue. Cost, hopefully, is becoming less of an issue due to some of our work. But those are still some significant barriers. Obviously, time is, I think, probably the most cited example of what's keeping people in general, not just kids from playing golf. But what I have been encouraged to hear more so recently is that the idea of what really is golf and what does being a golfer mean I think it's starting to change for a lot of people. And whether that's hitting a bucket of balls at a driving range or going to a top golf or a drive shack and engaging that way, yes, a lot of those people consider themselves golfers and they should. And the idea of spending four or five or six hours on a Saturday morning playing golf, especially for young professionals and potentially their kids, is going to need to change. And so six holes, three holes, those types of activities, I think, really need to be embraced. 
There's facilities that are starting to do that. There's programs that are starting to do that. We're very encouraging of organizations and facilities that are providing those for kids and their families because it's vital to continue golf's growth. We're going to continue to focus on cost and a little bit on, on education, and that's certainly be supportive of transportation and equipment as well. Right. And with your name, Youth on Course, it seems as you continue to evolve and iterate and innovate here as an entrepreneurial organization, not to say that you can't have golf experiences that you're driving young people towards that are not necessarily on the golf course. Not that you're going to change your name, but it could be Youth on Course Plus or whatever that a little asterisk beside it, you know, and beyond that you're doing more than that. Sure. <laughs> and I agree with you completely. We talk about this in the podcast all the time. This notion that golf is no longer a switch, it's on or off, where the old school mentality is you, you have to play 18 holes so you can card a score towards your handicap or no, 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 that, that's not really golf, which of course now in the last few years, that, that has completely changed. What it is that defines you and identifies you as a golfer different. Just look at my son, 14-year-old son. We'll just go up the street here to the park and we'll shoot some hoops for 20 minutes, whatever, one-on-one, play horse. We don't need to justify and come back and say, well, we didn't really play basketball. It was kind of like basketball. You know, just because we didn't play 48 minutes against LeBron or Steph Curry, we don't have to somehow justify that what we did was basketball or not. It seems ridiculous to put it in that context. But golf is forever up until recently has worked within that mindset that if you you don't play 18 holes, you're not really playing golf. So you've certainly uh, gotten past that. It sounds like the young people you're bringing on board are there also. Yeah, I, I think you, you have to take that mentality if you want to grow, whether you're an organization, a product, a facility, whatever it is, catering to a different demographic and a lower age demographic, those groups view things differently. And I got back from a, a two-day conference where that was first and foremost, the material being spoken about is you've got to change the way you think. And I go back to, a, I think it was an email we got from a, a parent, a mother in San Francisco who said, going to a movie or out to dinner or, or some activity with our whole family, family of four in San Francisco is prohibitively expensive. But I can sign up for Youth on Course and, and I can go to Harding Park and maybe we only play a couple holes. But we've basically spent $10 for our kids to play, and my husband and I may get a twilight rate, and it's dramatically more affordable. We get to actually spend time with our kids. Right. We talk. We're walking around. We're doing something healthy, and it's totally changed our dynamic on the weekends. That's what it's all about. It's not 18 holes. It's a couple holes and something to drink and spending time together. So we're really encouraging that as much as we can. I love that. Love that. You did mention in in a previous comment, you're talking about the partnerships that you've been developing. I do want to talk about a few that I'm aware of. And the first one I want to ask you about is the partnership you've established with the PGA Tour. You tell us a bit about that and what the two of you are doing. The tour has been encouraging Youth on Course for a a long time and through some of their events, particularly the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which I think everybody knows from seeing it on TV, they're incredibly philanthropic. And the PGA Tour probably doesn't get enough credit for all the philanthropy it does through its events more than the other four big sports organizations combined. Yes. Youth on Course is is a significant six-figure beneficiary of their support. And I think as we've been able to grow and as we've been able to scale, some tour players are are starting to take notice. And Josh Teeter, who is a Kentucky native and a, a tour player for a while now, is the first to represent youth on course, you know, with our logo on on his sleeve. This was developed out of a relationship that a, a board member had 
Jimmy Kirchdorf from ISCO Companies there in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And part of this was that Josh was going to support Youth on Course. And we're thrilled to have his support. And, and I think there's other relationships that I think can hopefully develop here in the next six to eight, 12 months. So you'll see Youth on Course a little bit more out on tour, I hope. Nice, nice. Now, the other one, of course, myself being Canadian, eh? I'd like to talk about a new partnership you have is now you're expanding internationally and and you have a relationship with Golf Canada. Can you tell us a bit about that partnership? Uh, It's something we're thrilled about. Golf Canada's reputation is preceded itself. And when they first talked to us about this, which was a while ago, just looking at it, evaluating it, they're very smart in how they approach things. They're extremely organized. Their, Their provinces are home to a lot of golfers. I mean, Canadians play an astounding amount of golf. Yeah, they do. And and uh, <laughs> and we looked at this as as a little bit of a no brainer. And talking to Lawrence Applebaum and, and Jeff Thompson and their team, where could this work? And they looked at Alberta as the first test market, and we've already signed up a dozen golf courses there. And this will be our first international pilot, so to speak. But I have no doubt that it'll work. Uh, they're completely bought in and uh, have a vested interest in making sure that this succeeds and it benefits families all over Alberta now, but hopefully all over the entire country here before too long. It's something we're very excited about. Good stuff. Well, myself being in British Columbia here, just north of Washington State, that when you're ready, I'm more than happy to make the introductions with the people of British Columbia Golf that are the uh, provincial arm of Golf Canada. I know they've got, uh, gosh, we have over 350, almost 400 golf courses, more than any other province in the country. And also the weather not being frozen half the time, like everybody has the perception <laughs> of what Canada is. The fact we actually sure. have a very temperate ecosystem here. Nice. Well, and, and one of the nice things, Colin, too, is that this Youth on Course membership card is transferable. Oh, okay. So kids in Washington State could go play. Or kids in, in Minneapolis could, could go to Calgary. And then that Youth on Course card is not only transferable across state lines, but now across international lines as well. Got it. Now, talking about partnerships, do you have partnerships you realize, hey, if we actually get into schools, even part of their physical education programs, was there been any value there? Have you made any connectivity to help scale up or is, has that happened organically? Or what, what do you do there as far as connecting with schools to help facilitate what you're doing with Youth on Course? So we typically work through our partners, both allied golf associations, organizations like the First Tee, where they already have great relationships with schools. Golf Canada is already doing that very, very well. They are. Yeah. So we, we look at, at our partners locally to help us reach a, a lot of those young men and women in schools, because as you say, I mean, it's a great base from which to work with. And there's a lot of different organizations who have made those relationships succeed already. And so you're right, we do look at that as a huge area of growth. So yeah, I'd I'd like to hear a bit more about the Caddy programs that you have. And uh, I understand you're partnering with Caddy Now, who we've had on the podcast before. So yeah, I'd like to hear about, so not only playing rounds of golf and introducing the the game to kids to play at a a more affordable rate, but also the opportunity to actually enter the industry and make some money. So yeah, can you tell us a bit about your caddy programs and how much that's expanded across the country so far? The caddy program is something I'm really excited about. Our team has done an amazing job of looking kind of a a new area for us and and starting to really expand it. Most of that activity happens in, in Northern California but it has expanded to Kentucky. They're starting to work in partnership with Caddy Now in Ohio as well. But we've got a a little bit of a unique model where the golfer is asked to cover a $25 rate for the kids. We will match that, basically covering the base fee. So 
a young man or woman, typically age 14 to 18, will walk away with essentially $50. Now, for those young men and women whose families are lower income, for every time they loop, we will add $50 to a, what essentially amounts to a college savings account for them. Wow. And so, you know, it's really starting to incentivize kids to, to carry bags. Yeah. The benefit is, is obviously financial. But when you start talking to a young person for four hours, five hours, maybe two hours if it's nine holes, and they're able to talk to you, ask you questions, you know, how'd you get your job? Where did you go to school? What did you study? What do you think about XYZ? That stuff's incredibly valuable. And the feedback that we get from golfers, it's a truly worthwhile experience for them as well. There's been a number of great relationships that have been developed over the years from golfers at a particular club or course and a caddy or two who they really enjoy spending time with and helping just a little bit indirectly succeed in life. And so some of those relationships, it really just kind of warms your heart when you hear about them. And, and a lot of these kids have gone on to be very, very successful in college. I, I mentioned earlier, one of them, uh, Megan McHenry from the Bay Area, ended up getting an Evans Caddy Scholarship from it. And so it's something that we would certainly like to see expand more and more across the country. But the West Coast of, of the United States is a little bit unique in that caddies aren't quite as prolific here as, as they might be in the Midwest and the Northeast. Right, right. Where that tradition has gone back dozens of years, a hundred years or more in some cases. Yeah. No, I, I love it. It sounds like you are scaling up really nicely over time, finding your way. And you've, well, you've certainly found your voice already. And it gets me excited. I can hear the excitement in your voice. It sounds like 15 years in, you're in a way you're just kind of getting started. So so with that, I'd like to ask my guests this question. Of course, on the Mod Golf podcast, we're always talking about the future of golf as it evolves and it transforms. So what are your thoughts there? Let's say on, on golf in general of where you could see it or would like to see it be in, let's say, 10 or 20 years from now, or even more specifically, where you'd like to see youth on course being in the, let's say, in the next 15 years? You know, I'd like to see you know, what we're doing now continuing to grow, certainly. And that's all 50 states. That's a number of, of different countries around the world where more so than anything, we've developed this unique community of young people who are really tied together by youth on course, that they can play and communicate and develop relationships both with each other and with others. And that it's become this organization that is almost in some ways a, a launching pad for their careers, not just for golf for the rest of their life, but we've in some way provided enough value in whether it's the ability to play, whether it's you know, scholarships or caddies, that they feel like youth on course has impacted their life forever. And I think you're right. I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. I mean, we've, we've got just south of 50,000 members across the board. We're at 1,100 golf courses. We're raising millions of dollars, but I, I truly do think we are scratching the surface with what's possible. And hopefully we can work as an industry a bit more collaboratively because I think we'll all be much, much better off. Well, that's the Mod Golf Podcast. That's what we try to do in our small little way is be that connective tissue that brings the industry together. We only hold so much influence, a very small bit, but it's growing also. But that's one of the reasons why we do exist also, is to bring together all these awesome yet fragmented pieces that are floating around within the golf ecosystem. It sounds like you're working hard to do the exact same thing with a fantastic platform you have with Youth on Course. So, hey, as we finish up here, just one more thing I wanted to ask, a bit of a follow-up to uh, what you talked about on the international piece and the expansion. 
I'm curious to hear, because at the PGA show in Orlando, where we got to meet each other face to face, I'm sure you had all kinds of great conversations, people coming up to you. I'm curious, did you get anybody coming, let's say, from Japan or from Korea or other hotbeds of golf, maybe parts of Europe that were interested in expanding the youth on course model into those countries? We have. We've taken kind of just general inquiries from a small handful of other countries around the world, just trying to figure out exactly, you know, what is this and then how do you scale it and what does it cost and all those different questions. And I, I think generally speaking, the golf community globally is looking for things to reduce these pain points, as you call them. And obviously we've taken one and run with it and that being cost. And so I think what we've built here is replicable everywhere across international lines and across currencies. And we'll continue to take a look at those and when and where appropriate, engage. Certainly, I'd love to be able to be everywhere right now, but we certainly have a responsibility to both kids and families and our current partners to be able to serve them well and, and handle that growth. We will continue to try and grow as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, and it sounds like with the alliance you have now with Golf Canada, getting in this market, dipping your toe into the international waters there, the fact that we are so close to you. We are cousins, really. We uh, we have so much in common and the language is the same. And that'll be a great test kitchen over the next couple of years, I'm sure, for you to uh, work out that international model, that piece for you too. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. good stuff. So before we go here, why don't you tell our listeners where they can learn more about Youth On Course, where they can find you, and also talk about the fact that, yes, you do have the philanthropic side. You have clubs and Fortune 500 corporations that help fund what you do, but you also do rely and are very grateful for the money that the regular person will donate. So tell us where people can find you, learn more, and where they can donate a few dollars to help you out. Sure, sure. So social media channels, it's it's at YOC Golf, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're fairly active, both promoting some of the, the things that our, our young men and women are doing, some of the activities of our partners, and, and obviously things of the industry at large. But youthoncourse.org is our website. And we do rely on, on charitable contributions. About 90% of our revenue is through fundraising. And the vast majority of, of that is individuals. Right. And that's $10, it's $20, it's $100, it's $1,000. There's a, a vast community of people out there who value kids being involved in, in something really healthy like golf and having the, the opportunity and the access to opportunities that I think Youth on Course provides. So we're certainly grateful to our supporters. We do have a number of significant corporate funders and, and foundations, family foundations. You mentioned PGA Tour through the Monterey Peninsula Foundation, but you can donate online again, youthoncourse.org. Good stuff. So, hey, why don't we end it there? This has been great, Adam. I've really appreciated the conversation. I've learned a ton, even more about Youth on Course than I knew before, and I'm sure our listeners have also. And what I love here, getting back to one of your original comments at the beginning, with how do you grow the game? And I like to use the term more of how do you evolve the game? How do you transform the game? And there was this, I guess it was about five years ago, that they looked at the numbers, this doomsday scenario that of, of the 25 million golfers in the U.S., 20% had left the game over the last few years. And and because it wasn't getting backfilled with younger people, with women, the people that weren't middle-aged to older white guys. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Yep. And yep. you're one of the solutions to growing that. So keep up this great work. It is impactful. It really matters. And it helps. Yes, it helps on the golf course, but it, it just sets these kids up for life beyond that. And the stories that you've shared have really helped to highlight and celebrate that. So Adam Hike, CEO of Youth on Course, it's been great talking to you and thanks for being a guest today on the Mod Golf Podcast. 
I really appreciate you having me on, Colin. I, Youth on Course grows through people who believe in it, and, and we appreciate your continued support of this. It is my pleasure. So in the show notes, I will include all the links that Adam had mentioned already. Probably going to have to have you on again, not not wait 15 years, <laughs> but we'll certainly need an update in another year. So hopefully you can carve out a, another hour of your life in a year or so, so we can get an update on Youth on Course. Okay, Adam, that's great. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Colin. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam Hike. CEO of Youth on Course. I'd love to hear what you found interesting and useful in this episode, so please share your thoughts by emailing me at colin at modgolfpodcast.com and I promise to get back to you. If you'd like to learn more about the work Youth on Course and Adam passionately take on to support the golf industry and grow recreational participation, go to our episode show page where we've included links and photos to provide you with additional content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Nextlinks, for helping make the Mod Golf Podcast happen. I also want to send a big welcome to our newest sponsor partner, Golf Genius Software. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. Are you a golf course owner or operator struggling with the complexities of running tournaments? Do you want to spend less time running them while increasing revenue and profit margins? Check out our friends at Golf Genius to learn how they can help make the magic happen at golfgenius.com. Please join me next time when I speak with Azucena Maldonado who is the founder of Latina Golfers Association, which is an LA-based organization that empowers women by teaching them how to use golf as a tool for personal and professional development. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.